Good morning. Sorry, Andy Cammy, the typo was not intentional. <laughs> so sorry. All right, so we have a competition going. If you know which part of Singapore this is, uh, you get a prize from me. Right? So, but pay attention. Pay attention to the sermon today. Right? We are we're being interrupted. You know, we were supposed to continue in the flow of getting back to normal church. Uh, we're supposed to continue to be able to have more people worship together, but all of a sudden, we're back to two steps back, you know, back to where we could only have the worship team, my AV super crew, and myself in church. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating, you know, and, and it, it messes with plans. And, and I like to plan, and, and I don't like my plan being disrupted. And one of the things that, that I have to deal with and learn to, to accept is, is being interrupted. Being interrupted. For some of you who are involved in creative processes, who are designers, writers, uh, artistic people, you know when you get into the flow, when you are in like the zone of having the juice overflowing after a Sahara desert experience of having nothing, the last thing you want is to be interrupted. Because you want to squeeze out every single drop of the juice from the sugar cane and then drink it up, right? So part of being a pastor involves that process, especially in the sermon preparation. There's a lot of times where I'm in the flow of preparing my sermons. For those of you who, who do not know, I've shared this a few times, I don't prepare my sermon all in one day. And especially, I do not want to prepare my sermon the Friday night before Sabbath, which sometimes happens for some pastors, even myself. I start the process early, I break it up, but when I'm in the zone, I want to get it done. But one thing of being a pastor before this whole pandemic is the office is always open. And you have people suddenly giving you a call, they're walking into the office and say, can I talk to you? And it's really hard, you know, when somebody walks into your office, you're the pastor, right up to your desk and says, am I disturbing you? <laughs> and you'll be like, no. Not that I'm complaining, but that's the process I have, to, I have to learn to adapt and adjust to. And then after having my son, that is like level up. You know, like he doesn't know when not to disturb. Although he's learning, he's actually really good about it, but there are times where he really wonders, what's that doing? And he, he, he needs to interrupt me. So I don't like interruption. I don't know about you. I don't like interruption. Uh, it frustrates me. It frustrates me. But then there's some interruption which I think are essential, critical, and important. So one of the things that I do not like is being disturbed when I'm, uh, I went out for if I go out for dinner and I, I'm driving home, I'm full, I'm tired, I just want to get home. But then once in a while, you see stuff like that. You know, you can see it from a distance. You can see not just one light, but a row of blue-red light. And you know, either there's an accident or there's something's happening, there's roadworks. But one of the things that happened is in, in Melbourne one time, I went to my friend's place and we'll hang out at his place uh, after Sabbath and we were pretty late. We hang out at the place about 12 o'clock and then we were going to go home. And, and Australia, Melbourne's not like Singapore where you get home really quick. It takes about 45 minutes to get from where we were to where we're going to go home. 
And as we exited his place, we were driving down the road. It's supposed to be like smooth sailing because it's 12 o'clock. It's Melbourne. There's nobody else on the road. We're supposed to get home real quick. But then all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, we see the blue and red lights. And we're like, oh, no. What's going to happen? And then you start seeing cars, which is really, really rare in Melbourne night, 12 o'clock, to have like cars like all lined up. And then I'm like, oh no, what's going on? And then we slowed down, come to a stop, and as we approached, we realized it was a, a breath test. A breath test. And, and then we waited for our turn, it took about 15 minutes. Right, 15 minutes, because like, they don't just do breath tests. They like, have a chat, it asks you how your life is. How, no, no. But like, it's really slow. It's a really slow process. And then we get there, and then, and because, you know, church people have this really weird thing. We have a lot of fun without alcohol. Like, and I tell people, because, you know, we have a better spirit. We don't need that spirit, liquid spirit. We got a better spirit. And then, so we were laughing, you know, you're bored, right? You're waiting in line 15 minutes. And so we we're like chit chatting, we we're laughing. We we're talking about just now what we were doing at the house, the board games we we're playing, how stupid it was. We we're laughing, and ah, crazy. And so I think the police saw us come in. He's like, I got them. I got these guys drink driving. And so when we got to my turn, he's like, Sir, can you, can you like blow into the apparatus for like, uh, I think, count to 10 or something? And because I was laughing so much, I didn't take a breath before I started blowing. So I'm like, ah, okay, sure. <sighs> like three seconds, I was out of breath. And then he's like, sir, please be serious. And he was like, he was so sure I was drunk. And I feel like, oh, no. So I'm like, okay, sir, I'll do it again. And I go, and then I blew for like 14 seconds. And he's like, enough, 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 enough. And he came out and he looked, and he has this look on his face where he go. And then he didn't believe the readings on his apparatus. And he's like, sir, can you do it again? I'm like, sure. And I go, and he looked at it again. And he's like, and like, sir, I need you to get out of the car. And I'm like, what? what? Did I eat too, much, too many grapes? You know, did I like, you know, something happen? You know? Do you know there's more alcohol in banana than some low alcoholic drink? It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Anyway, so I like they eat bananas, they eat grapes. Uh, I got down and he's like, "Sir, can you walk from here to the cone and back?" And I like, yeah, sure. I walk straight line. And he's like, "Sir, you're good to go." And he's like, "I was like, I, was like, I look at him and say, you, I say, sir, officer, you think I'm drunk, aren't you? Didn't you?" He's like, he, he just smiled and he said, like, "I'm not drunk. Maybe I get drunk on oxygen." And he just laughed and he says, "Just get along your way." You know, so I was interrupted. I was disrupted on my journey home, but I was not upset. In fact, I really appreciate the work that the police are doing because I've had friends who were injured seriously by drunk drivers. If anything, I hate, I hate drink driving, right? Because it's really irresponsible. And for me, it's like, if you want to injure yourself, go hit a tree, don't hit another person who didn't get involved in what you're doing and was innocently trying to make their way home because of your laziness to take care of yourself. So those interruptions are good. You know, I would rather be interrupted and have it happen more often to prevent things like that from happening again. In the scripture, there's a story of a major, major interruption. And this man was not planning to be interrupted, but God had another plan. 
And I know you know who this guy is, but let's look at his story in detail again. And I think it will inform us as we go through this semi-lockdown period again. And as I talk, let's go to the scripture, Acts chapter 9. You need to turn your Bible for today's sermon. Turn to Acts chapter 9 because we're going to look through quite a few verses from it. It's not going to be on the screen. Give you some time. Grab your Bible, grab your phone, grab your iPad, your Android tablet, Samsung, whatever, your computer. Go to Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to read through. I'm going to read through. I'm going to learn from like Hank and Tony. They always do that. All right, I'm just going to read through and I want you to hear the story from the Bible, not from me. We're going to go all the way to verse 19. In fact, let's see how the Spirit leads. But Saul. Verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what Christianity was called, men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, the scripture reading for today, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city. And you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. He was blinded. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. That street still exists today, by the way. It still exists. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me 
so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Dear Aztec family, have you been disrupted, interrupted? See, these interruptions may be very annoying. And in fact, when it first happened, I took some time and I, and I was praying and I asked God, God, why? Why has the resumption to regular worship been interrupted again? What does this mean, Lord? And it's easy at that point, hearing different voices from different people to go into that mode where you complain, where you go, God, come on, do something. You know, you'd be like David in the book of Psalm, would just go, God, where are you? Have you forgotten your servant? Have you allowed my enemies to triumph and have feasts around me? You know, like, like crazy ranting, right? And in fact, that's happening. Like, I hear a lot of people complaining, why are this happening? Why is the government doing this? Why are, why are we not allowed to do this? And you can get into that, and it's normal, and it's, I have done that. But it's so easy to be caught up in that, that you forget, and you, you would, if you continue to be in that, to, to forget that God is still in control. At times, I think this pandemic has driven the people of God to a place where they almost think that God has lost control where they almost think that the God we worship is not a personal, relational God, but a God who created us and then left us to survive by ourselves. That's not Christian, that's deist. Where they believe in a supreme being, an intelligent creator, but he doesn't care. It's almost like we have acknowledged that the, the, the devil, the enemy, has triumphed in his attack of this earth, that especially as Adventists, we've forgotten that this has already been foretold. And as I was struggling with God, and as I was having this conversation in my prayer, God is like, have you forgotten, James? Have you forgotten that I have already told you so? And oh, and I was reading at a time through the gospel where Jesus said those exact words to the disciple. Have you forgotten that I told you that I'm going to die? And it's so easy to judge the disciples. Like Jesus continuously tell them, I'll be crucified and three days later I will resurrect. I will die. I will die. I will die. I will die. I'm here to die. I'm here to die. I'm here to die. And then when he was called to be crucified, they're like, why is he on the cross? And if Jesus was human, he would be like, oh, stupid disciples. In fact, he, he, he would almost, you know, as time he goes like, why do you have such little faith? The frustration. And that, 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 that struggle when I was there, I heard Jesus said that to me. James, why have you so little faith? I says, God, then remind me, then explain to me, why have you allowed the church resumption to be interrupted? And that's the question we're going to talk about today as we continue looking at 
Saul, Paul's experience. See, Saul was, was brought up. You know, if, if, if anything you don't remember from my sharing today, remember one thing. If there's any Pharisee that was saved, here's one. A Pharisee wrote three quarters of the New Testament. You know, we always read the Gospels and we go, Jesus, like, rebuking the Pharisee and go, like, this Pharisee, like, they have no hope. This guy's a legalist. This guy's, you know, Saul was a Pharisee. And he was a Sanhedrin. He was like, he was an, a combination of every single person Jesus rebuked while he was walking the earth. Every single person that he dealt with, he, he challenged. He is that rich young ruler. Saul was rich. He's young. And in fact, he struggled with the exact same struggle the rich young ruler struggled, covetousness. He struggled. He wanted more power, more influence, more status. And he deserved it in human eyes. Such a young man, Roman citizen, Pharisee, faithful, memorized the whole Old Testament by the time he was 15 years old, preached powerfully, persecute those, those people who are trying to disrupt the way of the church. He should be somebody in the church. Saul was the Pharisee. Saul was the Sanhedrin. Saul was a rich young ruler that Jesus confronted again and again and accumulated in this person. And as he was going, breathing down murderous threat upon the people of God's way, God interrupted him. And I love how he was interrupted. The Bible says very clearly in verse 3, that as he went on his way, he approached, he was almost there. It's about a week's walking distance from Jerusalem to Damascus. So he's like six and a half day, he got to get there before the Sabbath. He probably left Sabbath, after Sabbath, Saturday night, he started walking a little bit. Full Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he was like, I need to get there before Friday sundown. Friday morning or afternoon, bam! God confronts him in no other way but a bright, glaring light. You know when you're in a dark place, let's say you, you, you turn off all the lights and you let your eyes accustom to it, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody turned on the light. That's what my brother used to do when I was staying home. Like, I would be, like, really tired, go to bed early, and then he, like, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. It's obviously he, could, he knows I'm inside because he could hear my snore from the living room. And it's obvious that if there's nobody inside, the aircon won't be on. It's obvious that I am very tired and I'm asleep. He'll come in, let there be light. And you know, you're like, Aah! your eyes are like scorched off your, your brain or something. And it's so bright. And so for Paul, for Saul, it was, I think, intentional that God encountered him, interrupted him with a bright light. Of course, it also shows us that God didn't interrupt him from heaven far away. But God interrupted Paul or Saul still at this point with his personal presence. And the first reaction, which is the right reaction, Paul, Saul, fell to the ground. And he heard his voice and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he immediately recognized who he was. 
because he called him by the name that you only call God. He says, who are you, Kyrios, Lord? He knew he was supernatural. Who are you, Lord? In the midst of this interruption, what have you been doing? What have you been focusing your energy on? Maybe you're trying to distract yourself by feeding your mind with Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever game, PS5. They all like planned it to be released at this time, huh? didn't they? They know, right? Uh, or have you been spending your time asking God, who are you? One of the very good apps that has been built into most phones nowadays that is really scary. Don't look at it now. You may faint. It's the app that tells you how much screen time you spend on what app, right? And if you read your Bible through the phone, I don't advise you to do that. It's too distracting. Just look at the two apps and see how much time you spend on other apps and how much time you spend on the Bible app. One minute versus 12 hours, maybe. What are you feeding your brain in this time of interruption? Are you on YouTube watching news about what's happening with the vaccine, the virus? I'm not saying that's wrong, because that was my problem. I have to wean myself off the news, because I was getting so hooked on getting the latest update of what's going on. I realized I was spending so much time getting myself updated, reading so many various news agencies from around the world to get a full 360 global understanding of the situation. For what? And yet, I would have not spent even half or a third of that time in the Word of God. What have you been doing in this interruption? And then straight away, straight away, Jesus reveals himself. says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You say, yeah, we know Jesus. We know who he is. We know God is Jesus. Do you know what he means when he says he is Jesus to you personally? What does it mean for Jesus to be Jesus in your life? Jesus is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Anointed One. Jesus the Savior. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to James that Jesus is my Lord, my God? He immediately says, it's okay. Get up. Go into the city. And straight away he noticed something, that his sight was blinded. The light, the encounter, the interruption did affect him physically, so much so that possibly that was what he continued to struggle with for the rest of his life. But then there was possibly maybe the sting that he asked God to remove so many times from him. His sight was probably not good because in other places he would say that, I look at this, I write it with my own hands in such big letters. And maybe he had like long-sightedness, something, I don't know, as a, a result of this. But this encounter shook him up so much that he was without sight and that he couldn't eat or drink. He was like, what have I done? I've been persecuting Jesus. But then a beautiful part of the story comes. He says, then as he was waiting 
wedding, he saw visions of this other guy called Ananias, and then the story switches to God's encounter with Ananias. And God goes to Ananias, who is a faithful disciple, and go, Ananias, go and heal Saul. And Ananias are you crazy, God? That guy yesterday was just trying to kill us. I heard him kill a lot of people, throw a lot of people into prison. Now he's saying go and see him. Now I'm supposed to hide from him, not go see him. I'm supposed to come, God, no. Could it be that God is asking us to confront our fears at this time? Could it be that God is asking us to stretch out our hand of reconciliation to somebody in this interruption? So the interruption is not just for the church, but maybe, and I strongly believe so, that the interruption is also for us personally. Why has God interrupted your life? Like my plan for the past few years, including this year, was to fly to the U.S., do my doctorate, have an awesome experience there, meet my friends, have those food that I want to eat at a food cart, and then come back every few months for my studies. No, God's like, no, I'll give you one. By now, I'm supposed to have four trips to the U.S. already. I had one. And the rest of them, Zoom classes. Interruption. Why? It didn't go according to my plan. My life, honestly, at this point, I actually wasn't surprised that it happened because at this point, God is like, He, he almost, I feel like, he, our relationship is where He has to interrupt me because I'm always going the wrong path. Run away to Australia because I didn't want to be a pastor. And then God says, all right, go. Loved the, I hated the place, didn't want to stay. God says, why don't you stay? Change my plans, interrupted, all right, I'll stay here, God. I love this place now. Stay there for 10 years. God says, well, now get out. And I wait, wait, God, didn't you ask me to stay when I wanted to leave? And now you're saying, leave? And God says, yeah. Where should I go? I'll go back to Singapore? No, not yet. God, I said I never, ever wanted to be in business in the corporate world. I hate those things. Well, you become one. God, I never wanted to be a pastor. That's not what I'm called to be. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. I know what it's like. I'm a pastor's kid. God says, well, I'll do it. Constant interruption. In fact, even my, my doctorate right now was interrupted. I had a plan uh, to study in this specific school in Chicago. I applied and they said, no, sorry, you can't because it doesn't accept international student. Why don't you try a similar program in California? I'm like, great, I love California. I applied to the school, was almost through the entire process. They sent me an email and says, do you agree with our doctrinal statement on this? I'm like, I do not agree. Then we can't take you in. I'm like, wait a minute, you just say that you're a non-denominational school. Why are you rejecting me on this? Sorry, we won't accept you if you don't say yes to accepting that doctrinal statement. I won't, sorry, rejected. By that time, there's another program that I wanted that I, I, I should have applied instead of this, then I've missed the deadline and that program started. 
And so I was like, God, okay, I'm not going to do a doctorate. That's fine. One night as I was in my room, just like going to bed, a friend calls me because he, he suddenly forgot that I'm in Asia and he's in the United States. So he calls me at 2 a.m. Talk about interrupted sleep. And I'd be like, bro, you do know it's 2 a.m. Oh, right. Should I hang up on you now? It's like, since you've woken up, let's chat. I'm like, are you serious? I had a chat, and he goes, hey, I heard you're doing a doctorate program. I said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. God's not letting me. God's saying, don't do it, because everything I've tried has been rejected. And he goes, why don't you try again, James? Uh, so he woke me up at 2 a.m. I come back, I go back to sleep. He hung up, and it wasn't even for something important. And I went, well, since my friend says, let's try again. So I went, and mind you, by this time, I think I've Googled every doctorate program that is available online up to that point. And so I applied for the program, and I, and I, I Googled for the, the doctorate program again, and this time a new school with a new program popped up. And I go, I've never seen this program before. And it's in somewhere weird. It's in Portland. I heard things about Portland, but I like Seattle more. I have a look at it. I looked at it, and one thing that I noticed is they just changed to a new professor leading the program, and that professor wrote the book that I was currently reading. I'm like, well, how did that happen? Google, Google reads all your mind. And anyway, so he, he just took over from the program, and I'm like, this guy is awesome. I'm reading his book, and his book is awesome. I'm going to go for the program. I applied, and I got accepted within one week. God is good, right? So there's the story last year. January, I flew there, and some miscommunication, the email didn't come through. I went to the main campus where the course was not conducted there. Call, call my prof up, nobody answered. The, luckily that day, there was a person retiring, so she came in early to pack her box. And I saw her, I'm like, is there supposed to be a program today? She's like, who are you? I said, I'm James, and I've never heard of your name. I'm like, that's great. And I'm like, like what's up? I said, I'm doing this program with this professor. And he's like, oh, they do it on the other side of town, one hour away. He said, if you leave now, you could still make it. I'm like, Good, and then, and then uh, I'll try to contact, contact the prof and let, you, let him know that you're on, his way, you're on your way. She's like, thank you very much, and then like, happy retirement. That's the last time I saw her ever again. She calls, I drive across, the t- across town to the other place, arrive, and that day, there had some issues, so the program started late, so I was on time. Perfect. Walked in, and, and the prof looked at me and said, like, I'm so sorry, James, I, I miscommunication. And, uh, and as I shared before my sermon, he's like so apologetic. And then he's like, no, no, you're, you're, you're coming home with me tonight. And he's like, oh, what was going on? And so anyway, so I went home with him, and, and I love this prof. Went through the first intensive, had a good time loving the program. And I went through the second intensive over Zoom because of the pandemic. That's fine. Thinking that I'll go back in Jan. And all of a sudden, I was informed that he's dropping out of the program for a year. Interruptions, yeah. But then I was like, what, what? God, can you stop? But I realized that every time God interrupts is to bring me to a better place. And now he's no longer my professor, but now he's my personal friend. Because he's going through something in his church, we were chatting and over that, and I got to know his family, I know his three girls, and then we were chatting continuously. We were emailing each other more than ever before than while he was my professor. God has plans. 
got a different plans. God interrupts for a reason. I don't know what's the end of my story just yet. I still have to go for the program next year. Hopefully I'll get to go. But God interrupts. But here is the most beautiful part that when God spoke to Ananias, he go, Ananias, now go and see Paul. He's like, that's guy who's trying to kill me. But God, if you say so, I will go. And the most beautiful, often ignored first word out of Ananias. So verse 17 So Ananias departed and entered the house, laying hands on the enemy that was, before he opened the door, he thought it would kill him. First word out of his mouth, brother, Saul. Most beautiful reconciliation picture. Whereas for three days ago, Saul was bent on killing all Christians. Three days later, the victim goes to the perpetrator, calls him brother. Could it be that God is interrupting the church? God is interrupting our lives, challenging us to reconcile with some things in our lives. Maybe it's your relationship with God. Maybe it's your relationship with one another. Maybe it's relationship with different things in your family or with your work life. Maybe God is asking you to rethink the trajectory of your life and says, where are you going? And He's, he's forcing you, locking you at home and not letting you eat outside and says, think about it. Confront it. Stop running away from it. Interrupting your life. And because of this beautiful moment, and Ananias left, and, then, and, then, and re- he was part of the process of helping Saul regain his sight. And what? And the Holy Spirit. You never know who or how and when God's going to use you that you could become an instrument of communicating God to another person, and this person through your hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know who it is, what it is, but I do know that if there's something between you and God and you and somebody else, this interruption may be the opportunity for you to deal with it. Immediately, verse 18, scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose, saw the Almighty legalist, Pharisee, Sanhedrin, rich young ruler, rose and gave up his entire previous life and was baptized. But one thing that we can often miss is that God already planned for Paul, saw at this point to be an awesome instrument in his ministry while he was a persecuting, murderous Pharisee chasing down Christians. See, God doesn't accept us, plan for our life, only when we become good enough to receive it. God doesn't plan for our life and show us His His ideal life for us in His grace and love and mercy when we are 
when we have repented and we're like a good Christian, then He showed, no, no, no. Before you even realize that God is saving you, He has already planned how He's going to use your life. For each of you now, God has a special, individualized, unique plan for you. Have you realized it? Are you doing it? God doesn't make clones. We're not all supposed to be exactly the same. God wants all of us to be uniquely fulfilling what He's designed for our lives. And this interruption may be specifically what He's trying to do with your life, forcing you to confront it. You know, once, you know last time when you watch those uh, analog TVs, you know, there's a few things you have to do. Man, we were like, TVs now, they're so lazy. You know? Last time you have to like go up, adjust the antenna, Longer, short, short, long, 45 degrees. And if you have the antenna on the roof, somebody have to go out and go like, all right? And then you have to tune. And then you have to watch the TV, all right? And sometimes because something happens, like sometimes we're live stream, God has protected us so far, interruption happen. And then you see the screen, see what it says, round thing, and then part of the interruption. And oftentimes, if it happens in the middle of like the day, there's going to be an important announcement. A public announcement goes, guys, please listen now. I'm interrupting the program right now because there's something important I need you to hear. And you can like, eh, switch off the TV. And you didn't realize that for the next five days, there's going to be no water supply to your house. You have to go downstairs and collect water. Singapore used to have to do that. So when you're interrupted, you can either choose to listen up for the announcement or you can choose to ignore the interruption and go on with your life as it is and miss out on the wonderful blessing God has prepared for you. So the church must then realize why we interrupted. Take time to think about it and you, for your life, must take time to think about that too. Dietrich Bornhofer has said this once. He says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and cancelling our plans. When I was reading this, I'd be like, dude, that's my life. But then I realized I'm not special. That's all our lives. And if all our lives makes up the church, no wonder the church is being interrupted continuously because God is trying to guide us to where we're supposed to go. How are you going to look at what we're experiencing right now. Are you going to look at it as interruption, frustrated? Or are you going to look at it and say, this could be a divine intervention? That this could be what God intentionally planned to do for the church and for you individually. So what about it? What are you going to do, deal with it? So a few, few weeks ago, we received a notice in our mail that says, Specifically, on uh, this specific day, there's going to be no gas supply to the house, right? And so it tells you ahead of the time. So Tiffany and I was discussing, so what should we do? And we're like, oh, there's still electricity. There's no gas, so we can still make pizza or something, right? We can still use the oven or the air fryer. And so there's a lot of preparation happening, and then we went out to buy the ingredients and stuff ahead of time so that when it happens, we won't have to starve. Although there's Hawker Center, like, five minutes walk away, right? You never know, right? So maybe they, they close all the F&Bs on one day, right? And then you have no gas, and then you have to like, what? Hot, boil hot water, cook noodles. We don't even have noodles, then we die, right? You won't die. Paul didn't die from three days of no food and no water. But anyway, we were prepared because we got the notice of a coming interruption. 
So if the church, if church you have not received the notice, I'm not making a pandemic announcement, but for your Christian spiritual life, there will be interruptions. If you do not expect to be interrupted, you are you're delusional, you're lying to yourself, guys. You will be interrupted. You can ignore the interruption and try to force your life back to how it was before that. Or you could like accept the interruption, process the interruption, and then move on with the interruption into the new life of blessedness that God's planned for you. So ask yourself, because you are all part of the church, why has God interrupted the church gathering? Maybe he's trying to remind us that we're getting too comfortable in trying to get things back to the way it used to be. They've forgotten the challenge of trying to share the gospel with the entire Singapore. As I put it up here that you don't look at the wooden panels, but you look at Singapore and remind yourself that the church doesn't exist within these doors and walls, but it exists to be the light to shine to Singapore. So maybe we're too comfortable in getting 100 people coming together for worship that we're so satisfied with being entertained on Saturday morning that God is saying, stop, get out. In fact, the history of the Adventist church has happened again and again and again. In fact, it's just not us. It started from the, the, the disciples where God had to kick them out of Jerusalem because they refused to leave Jerusalem. And if you didn't notice, part of Saul's plan was to capture the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. They're trying to get out, trying to share the gospel, trying to fulfill the commission God has given to them. And Paul was trying to sort of reset and drag them back in. Jesus says, go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, and they refused to leave. And finally, they left Jerusalem, but Saul went out and tried to bring them back. Maybe we've gotten into the mode where we want to just come back, and we don't want to get out. Why has God interrupted your way of life? Is there a reason? Your plans get changed. I know many people have to change their, their study plans because they can't fly to the country or like the program closed or there's certain restriction now and the visa's not granted or there's certain jobs that's been cut and they no longer have a, a job working in the that, in that, in that industry or different things are happening. And why? Why? One of the games we played recently at home was uh, stacking of dominoes. We used the... We use like little bricks and uh, that is supposed to be for the stacking up, you know, but we like let's stack in a straight line. And uh, one of the things that Lucas really likes to do is to destroy it before the line is finished. Like we stack it out and he's like, he's enjoy it. I'm like, wait, wait for it to finish. It looks more beautiful. He doesn't care. And I realize it's actually more fun. He just go, but one of the things that I do when he does, he'll push the thing, trying to collapse the whole domino. What I do is I'll put my hand in, stop it from destroying my beautiful piece of art. Could it be that God's interruption is trying to prevent you from destroying yourself, from becoming that beautiful piece of art? I'm not saying that that is the case, but interruption, there's always a reason. Why has God interrupted you? Maybe He's asking you to relate to Him in a new way. Maybe you've been taking your relationship with Him for granted. You've gotten so used to the routine of how you've managed to legalistically appease him. But he wants more. 
He wants to be in a loving, personal relationship with you. He doesn't just want to have this appeasement. Maybe he's asking you to have a new way of relating to the church, which is the people in church, and which is who are your neighbors, who are your friends, who are your family. Maybe he's asking you, are you relating to them in a way that is not what I've planned for you? Maybe you are Ananias, where you think that he's the enemy, she's the enemy. I don't want to go see them. They're going to kill me. But God says, go and call that person brother or sister. So church, you've received the notice of interruption. And so the question to ask yourself today is why? And how are you going to prepare for the imminent interruption? That is starting now. And by the way, if you do not know, and I tell you, the prophecy says this only in the beginning of sorrows. But at the end of this sorrow, it's not more sorrow, it is not despair, but hope. Because at the end of this is where Jesus is coming again. His second advent is upon us to bring us home to where he is. pray. Lord, God, Father, and as we go about our life, may we allow you to interrupt it, 
And as we are interrupted, may you reveal to us why and how you want us to go from here. May you challenge everybody listening today that you not leave them undisturbed, that they will realize that this interruption is for your glory and for their blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.